Now, many, most of you know that I, I spent a season working at Chick-fil-A, which is our, one of our favorite places to get snacks, right? Can I get an amen? amen. Um, I did not hear of Chick-fil-A because I grew up in, in southwest Ohio. And I can remember the first time I ate at a Chick-fil-A was uh, we were passing through, I want to say it was all by 75, probably around South Lake, heading down to Florida to see my grandparents. And we ate at a mall, and I just thought, this, this was pretty good, but I had never heard of anything like it. Well, now at Chick-fil-A, can you imagine what the busiest time of the day is? It's kind of a tie between breakfast and lunch, but can you imagine where the most money is made? It's not breakfast, it's lunch. lunchtime. Because you got so many busy people getting off of work just in time to run over, grab a sandwich, grab a salad through the driver, and head back to work just in time. Now, once breakfast time slows down at Chick-fil-A around 9.30 or 10 o'clock, it's time to start getting ready for lunch. We have to do our stocking, we have to go through our checklist and get ready for lunchtime. Now, lunch is officially available at 10.30, but things don't start to pick up till about 11 o'clock in the morning. And you can start planning your times now, you know, when I'm giving you this inside information. So at 11.30, lunch begins in earnest, but by far the peak time in the drive-thru is from 12 to 1 o'clock. That's when there's the busiest time, the most amount of people in the drive-thru. And this will be non, there will be a non-stop flow of cars for at least an hour. I mean, non-stop. And you'll see it backed up. Now they've got two lines in the drive-thru. Back then we had one line. In the drive-through, way, way back in my days. Um, so the productivity is not going to be a question of opportunity at this point. There's plenty of cars, plenty of customers. It's an issue of speed, and it will take each team member working together in unison to make it as fast as possible. I mean, you've got people back there breading the chicken, you've got people doing the nuggets, doing the French fries, making the sandwiches, passing stuff up to the chutes. And on the other side, in the drive-through, you've got people bagging the food, taking the money, doing all kinds of jobs. But you have to work together in order to be fast, in order to send these lunch seekers away happy and on time. So to make it fun, our general manager decided to offer us each a free milkshake if we could break the elusive 100 car that was, that was the pinnacle. If you could do 100 cars through the drive-thru in an hour, you were really moving. And, of course, the sales were increasing. So uh, the GM, Tony, decided to offer us a milkshake if we could break the barrier together. And that's the point of this little story is it takes working together. Every person has to be doing their job to the best of their ability in the optimal way in order to break that barrier together. We did it one time while I was there. And it was an epic day. And we had our best people in place, and we were all doing to the best of our ability, and we did break that barrier. And, I, and the milkshake has never tasted that good. And we were sharing that milkshake together after work, and we had broken the 100-car barrier. But the interesting thing is that we didn't give the effort for our own benefit. I mean, there are many days that I was there that we didn't make that mark, and we just didn't have the desire, you know. It wasn't, we didn't do it for ourselves. We didn't even do it for the GM. But we did it for each other. I mean, we had the best people in place, and we just kind of knew that if we worked together, we could make it happen. And we really did it for each other as a gift. Now, you and I have all been in situations where we feel like the, the potential in, in the group was kind of sabotaged, right? Somebody wouldn't cooperate. Somebody wouldn't participate, and it kind of sabotaged the group. But we've also been in situations where each person brought their best to the table. You ever been in a situation like that? Where it's at work, whether it's at church, everybody brought their best to the table, and there was no ulterior motive. They just wanted to make a contribution. They wanted to give a gift. 
And much like the gift that we gave to one another that day in the drive-thru, our choice to engage wholeheartedly together in church is what unleashes God's potential to change his world through us. I mean, in every church across America, if each church member engages in church, then it unleashes God's potential to change things. And you and I have seen this, we've experienced it, we know that it's true. And this is God's plan for the church. You know, this week in my devotional time, I've been reading through Corinthians. What a mess, huh? Y'all ever read through 1 Corinthians? Paul spends the first several chapters using strong language to confront people that are causing division. And what's, what, what's at the heart of the issue is there's a desire to lift up the reputation and authority of individuals over and above the welfare of the group. But God wants something better for us, doesn't he? Is this a joke? Somebody turned off the clock? Oh, no, it's not. Because hmm. <laughs> I could just keep going. And I would never know. So, but God wants something better for us. Today we're going to look at a passage of scripture that outlines the benefits of choosing to live in community. And as we'll see, when we boost the body, when you and I choose to boost the body over and above ourselves, everybody benefits, right? When we choose to boost the body, everybody benefits. So the first point today is that needs are met when we live in community. When we choose not to do the easy thing and withdraw from society and do our own thing, but when we live in community, needs are met. Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Paul says this, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? And so Paul outlines four benefits that come from living in community. Number one, he says encouragement from belonging. You know, from childhood, we have a desire to belong, don't we? Remember that as children? Remember what happened when somebody said something about your mama? Somebody said something about your daddy? You got mad, didn't you? You got in a fight on the playground. Because belonging is important. Now, I remember talking with a friend during football season. His, his team had been beaten by a friend's team. And his friend was feeling kind of plucky. So he said, we beat you. Ha ha. We won. And so the friend was kind of annoyed with this because he's thinking, you know what, my pal? He had nothing to do with the win. All he did was sit there and watch TV and eat chips. So he decided to point that out. And he said, did you throw a pass, pal? No. Did you, did you make a tackle? No. Did you do anything to contribute to the victory other than sit there on your fanny? No. And he said, well, then there is no way that you can say that, that, you, that, that you beat us. You see what he's doing there? He's saying, you didn't beat us, and so he himself was saying us. So he's identifying himself with the team that was defeated. So belonging is important to us, even in sports. And it's a great encouragement to belong to something that's bigger than ourselves, right? Otherwise, our world might shrink to the size of meals and bills, right? Just meals and bills. I get up every day in order to earn enough money to eat and to pay bills and make payments. That's not so exciting, is it? But when you and I consider that we're part of a global movement, right? Something that's been going on since almost the beginning of time, a global movement. It reaches to every corner of the world. And it has grown and blossomed in spite of constant opposition. I mean, if you know, if you get anything like a magazine like Voice of the Martyrs, you know that the enemy is doing his best to defeat the church in all corners of the globe. And it all is possible because of the sacrifice of one man who gave his life 
for all. Then that, you know, that, that sense of belonging, that encouragement from belonging, that's a badge worth bearing, isn't it? I mean, that's a t-shirt worth wearing. It's a song worth singing, and it's a message worth sharing. So Paul says, if you live in community, you get encouragement. You get encouragement from belonging. Secondly, he says, comfort from his love. I'm going to share with you one of my favorite books I read to the kids. And I'm going to do it in a nutshell. It's a book called Everybody Loves Mr. Hatch. Anybody heard of that one? So Mr. Hatch is this lonely man who works at a shoelace factory. Every day at 6 o'clock, the same time he gets up, he follows the same routine. He eats his lunch by himself in the lunchroom, and then he goes home, gets a newspaper on the way home, goes to bed early, and then gets up and goes and does the same thing again every day. But one day, the postman delivers a package to him. It's a Valentine's package. It's got chocolates inside. And Mr. Hatch finds a little note attached that says, somebody loves you. So Mr. Hatch is so moved by receiving this box of chocolate, it changes his whole outlook. He begins to engage his neighbors. He begins to speak to people he had not spoken to. He begins to help people. And then he breaks out his harmonica. He makes lemonade and brownies and invites the neighborhood over to his house. And he's a transformed person. And he's, what has happened is he received comfort from the fact that somebody loved him. Well, sadly, you've read the book. The postman shows up one day and knocks on the door and says that package was delivered by mistake. And so Mr. Hatch is crushed. He goes back to his former life like a hermit, just ignoring everybody because he feels like he's not worth anything. And the neighbors are so upset, and so they find out from the postman what exactly had happened. And it's that Mr. Hatch is crushed. And so the neighbors on a Saturday morning show up in his front yard. And he comes out on the porch dressed in his overalls, just ready to sweep the porch and go about another lonely day. And he finds his whole neighborhood there in his front yard. And they're, they're carrying packages. They're carrying cards. They're carrying chocolates. And they're saying, and they say to him, everybody loves you, Mr. Hatch. It's one of my favorite stories. And in the same way, we can gather Daily comfort from the love of Christ that is evidenced in his body. I mean, anytime I visit our shut-ins, they speak with great fondness of people at church. I mean, of course they want you to pray for them, but they're asking about you. They're asking about you by name. How is so-and-so? How is their health? How is their family? How is the church? And they receive such great encouragement. They may not ever listen to a sermon. They may not ever step foot in here again, even though they want to. But they still draw comfort from the love that they've experienced here. Paul also says, fellowship together in the Spirit. You know, many times overseas we've experienced this fellowship in the Spirit with people we would normally have little in common with. In fact, if we were just out there in the community, all of it, just look around. Look around at the people. Everybody the same as you? Same age? Same hairstyle? I don't know. Is there some differences in here? Now think about it. If we had never met together at this church and I bumped into you on the street, would we be friends? Maybe. Maybe not. Maybe there would just be a little polite conversation. Maybe there would be that, you know, this is a, a signature Georgia thing, the two-finger wave. You ever done that? Driving by. You don't do one finger, that can be misunderstood. <laughs> and you don't do a whole hand because that's not safe. You do the two-finger. Do that. Just driving along Saturday. That's going. Right? That's all we get. Because we don't know each other. And in fact, 
without church, without this environment, there's a good chance that you and I wouldn't know each other. But there's fellowship that we can have together in the spirit. And I think our desire to linger, you ever been here when people are lingering? You ever been the one to lock up, lady how? When people are lingering? And you, you don't want to be rude, but it's like, hey, I've got places to go. And these people are lingering. But we linger. And our boisterous conversation during greeting times or meals provides plenty of evidence of this fellowship together in the spirit. And then lastly, in verse 1, he says, we have tender and compassionate hearts. We draw encouragement from being together in Christ. Now, what do you do, ladies? Maybe it's men, too. Some of men do the cooking of the meat. But what do you do when you're trying to cook a tough piece of meat? How do you tenderize? Beat it. <laughs> right? You can use some seasoning, but you've got to do whatever it takes to soften up the meat. Now, in the world, when we're out there every day, huh? It, it can toughen us up, right? It toughens up our hearts. We get used to people being unkind. I, somebody told a story, I'm not going to name them, in, in Sunday school this morning, and somebody was really rude about the way they were parking. They had, they had a parking job, but they had to get inside to do something. They came back out. Somebody was calling them names because of the way that they had parked. And her response was, if you keep egging me on, I've got a lot of insurance. So watch out. I might use my car as a weapon. <laughs> Again, I'll leave that person unnamed, but it was a great story. <laughs> Give me some good ideas. So, in a society where survival of the fittest is still very much alive, isn't it? Survival of the fittest. It's easy to develop the habit of bracing ourselves. Right? Oh, here it comes. Here it comes. They're going to they're treat me bad. They're going to cut me off. They're going to try to take my money. They're going to be unkind. But, in church, we have consistent positive interaction. We're not perfect. We have bad days, but generally people are nice in church. We have good intentions. We're not perfect. We don't do it right every time, but we desire to do right. We have charitable hearts toward one another, and it goes a long way towards keeping your heart and keeping my heart tender, right? So those are the benefits of being in community together. And with these benefits in mind, Paul urges us to verse 2. He says, make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other. Loving one another and working together with one mind and one purpose. That's his challenge to you and to me. Now, is this natural? Working together, agreeing wholeheartedly? You ever been at a family dinner? And not like nuclear family, extended family? Is there, is there tension there sometimes? Just occasionally? Sometimes the turkey doesn't taste so good because it comes along with conflict, right? Is this natural for us? No, it's not. But Paul is encouraging us um, to do something that's supernatural. Now, what is natural is that you and I show up in any gathering, right? We show up with our own agenda. I've got my own reasons to be here. I've got my own reasons to participate, and I may not share them with you. And so what Paul's saying is when God moves you and he moves me to lay aside your agenda, to lay aside my agenda, something magical happens. And it's what Jesus prayed for in John 17. It's unity. It's us being supernaturally united together in fellowship. But how do we pursue this? And so Paul gets very practical in the next couple of verses. Verse 3. He says, don't be selfish. He's going to step on my toes. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't look out for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. Now this is a powerful exhortation in this verse. But, I'll be honest, the first part, don't be selfish, don't try to impress others, it's kind of difficult to do a negative, isn't it? 
I mean, how do you do a don't? It's a little bit tough to follow. When we were preparing to move to China, we had a communications director. She was a really sweet lady. Very conscientious. I think she'd been an accountant or something like that. Very, um, you know, focused on the details. But she put out communications guidelines that we had to pass out to our supporters. And the first 10 or 14 things were don'ts. Don't send an email with this word in it. Don't send, you know, have this kind of condition. Don't do this, don't do that, and don't do the other, or else you're going to put everything in jeopardy. And then at the end, I think there are maybe three do's, like do communicate, do pray for people. So how many people do you think were corresponding with us after reading those communications guidelines? Almost none. Because it's tough to do a don't, isn't it? It's also difficult to do a B. He says, be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. All right, that's, that's, a, that's all good. Be humble. I know generally what it looks like, but what specifically am I supposed to do as a humble person? Be humble. Okay. Well, what does that mean? Just, just be humble. Okay. Well, thankfully, verse 4 gives us something specific to do, which I think is the key to the other two. He says, don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others, too. So this isn't a don't and it's not a be, it's a do. Take an interest in others. And what's our natural tendency in conversation? It's all about me, right? I mean, that's why we're here. It's about me. But taking an interest in others, that's kind of abnormal. That's kind of odd and unusual. In fact, when we were staying in Orlando at Bill's timeshare, we had to attend the obligatory sales presentation. You have done that timeshare. <laughs> How long does it last? How long is it supposed to last? How long does it last? Okay. Until they twist your arm and get you to buy something else, right? So we went actually to the wrong place. They were supposed to send us to the group meeting. They sent us to the place where the guy meets with people who already own things. They already own the timeshare. He's trying to get, he's trying to upsell. So he was kind of surprised that we were there. We, we weren't really supposed to be there. And what's his name? Robert? And he was well-dressed, very professional. He's actually from the Northeast, so the accent was similar um, with Bill. But he was actually really good at his job, and I'll tell you how he was so good. Um, the gentleman was such a good listener, I mean, that I almost began making payments on a modern time. <laughs> he was really good. And what he did was he just he sat back for about the first 20 minutes before he even really started pitching. And he just asked questions about us. Who are you? Where are you from? What do you do? living? What are your interests? What are your goals? I mean, him taking an interest in us was so, it just caught, caught me off guard. I think that, that was the intention. Now, he showed it, I think it felt like a genuine interest in us as individuals. And I know he was collecting information to create connection points. I know that's what he was doing in order to lead toward a sale. But I almost couldn't tell. He was so good at what he was doing. And we're so not used to that Somebody actually taking an interest in what's going on with you. Somebody caring enough to ask about you and your day and your problems and your challenges. It's so unusual. Now imagine how you and I can shock people by taking an interest in their lives with no secondary. Doesn't that surprise somebody? Couldn't you shock somebody with that kind of attitude? And I'll tell you what kind of attitude that is in just a moment. And if you make a habit of taking an interest in others, then you're not going to do the don'ts. You're not going to come across as selfish. You're not going to come across as self-important. So by focusing on the do, and this is a life principle. I mean, if you get people focusing on the don'ts, it doesn't really help. But if you focus on do and the do, then you won't do the don't. Let me say that again. It's like a Danny Kaye movie. 
Focus on don't do the do, then you won't do the don't. Okay? Got it? All right. And not only that, but verse 5 is what you will exhibit. Verse 5 says this, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. So if we'll allow verse 1, you know, the encouragement, you know, the fellowship that we get from being in community. If we'll allow verse 1 to inspire us to live verses 2 through 4, then we'll be exhibiting the same attitude as Christ Jesus. And isn't that what you and I want? I mean, we, aren't we inspired by Jesus? Everything he did, every word he spoke, every person he healed, his own life that he laid down wasn't about him. It was about others. It was about you. It was about me. And that inspires us. And when we have the attitude of Christ, there's a crucial side effect. And that's the second point today. There's a crucial side effect. is that people see Jesus when we live in community. Now, if you're trying to go it alone and be a, a, you know, a rogue evangelist, great. Go for it. But most of us aren't that good. When you put us together, people see that unusual care and concern for one another. It strikes a chord. gets their attention. So people see Jesus when we live in community. Philippians chapter 2, verse 14 says this. Do everything without complaining and arguing, so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Can I get an amen? Scary place out there now, isn't it? I can remember growing up, mom would let us wander the aisles. Store. Not anymore. My, if my kids are out of my sight for two seconds, where are they? Where are they? Where are they? Different world now. If we band together, if we live in community, if we encourage one another, then people can see Jesus and our light shines. So when we, look, when we choose to live in community together, this makes verses 14 and 15 possible. I've told you this before, but in the summer of 99, I was on a PR team for our school. We traveled to eight different church camps in um, four, sorry, four different church camps, eight different weeks of camp that summer. You ever who's done church camp? Is it exhausting? Are there moments when you're not at your best? Are there are moments when you don't look your best. <laughs> you're not eating the best food. You're in constant heat, not a lot of air conditioning. And there's lots of children that you have to literally just force to take a shower. It's scary <laughs> stuff. It really is. But we had a blue shirt, our ACC team in Lancaster College. And the, the shirt said, the world is watching. And that's always stuck with me. The world is watching. And when you're at summer camp with campers, man, they're watching. They're watching you when you eat. They're watching you when you play. They're watching you when we sing, when we spoke, and they're watching us when we do pranks, which is unfortunate. And they're watching all the time, and the world is watching. So the question for you and I today is this, are you a lone candle in the darkness when it comes to trying to make a difference in this world? Are you just a lone candle out there by yourself trying to shine the light of God, the light of Christ? Or are you choosing to shine brighter by living in community? Because that's the choice. If we're out there and you're a Lone Ranger Christian, not only is your light not going to shine very bright, but it can get dim. Get dimmer. To be extinguished. We don't want that. So the second reason that we need to live in community is that people will see Jesus in us. We live in community. Number three is that living in community validates God's investment in us. Verse 16, Paul says this, hold firmly to the word of life. 
Then on the day of Christ's return, I will be proud that I did not run the race in vain, that my work was not useless. There is nothing more discouraging than the effort, the years. This happens all the time with people who get laid off, right? You put in years of effort. You've given yourself to the company, and then one day they say, eh, see ya. Discouraging, right? It feels like your work, to some extent, was in vain. And Paul's running the same, he has the same concern. He spent years of his life serving, preaching, encouraging, traveling, suffering. And he wants to know that his work's not in vain. So he's encouraging him to hold firmly to the word of life. You know, Paul worked tirelessly for the sake of the gospel. And selfishly, he wanted to know his work was making a difference, right? He wanted to know it was making a difference. So he spent time, lots of time, pleading with encouraging believers all over the Mediterranean to follow Christ and love one another. We talked about that first John chapter 3 this morning. Follow Christ. Love one another. That kind of sums it up. So if you and I will choose to live in community, it will go a long way towards showing others and ourselves that God is at work. Not that we want to know. We want to see God. We want to experience God. We want to witness God at work. And the pathway to that is through fellowship, is through community the bottom line today is that living in community unleashes God's potential. It unleashes God's potential. So if you're looking to have your needs met, and we all have needs. Who's got needs? Who's needy? Nobody's going to raise their hand. But you are, right? I am too. We're all needy. We all have needs. If you want your needs met, if you desire for others to see Jesus in you, and if you long to know that God is at work, I would recommend leaning into the body. It's not always convenient. It doesn't always fit in well with the schedule. But it's worth it because living in community unleashes God's potential. So here's a few opportunities for you to connect to FCC. I don't know if I'm allowed to announce this, so I'll say it fast so Eva doesn't catch it. Actually, it's Mary's going to be mad at me. But on Tuesday nights in the fall, there will be a group meeting at an unnamed house, eating food, typically, and having Bible study. And that's an opportunity for you to connect. First Christian. Another opportunity is Wednesday nights, Lee Dillard leads a life group. And that's an opportunity for you to connect if you haven't. Then we have a Sunday class every Sunday morning where we have a lot of fun and where some really interesting doodles occur, um, as did this morning. Artistic, in fact. So I would encourage you to take advantage of the opportunities. Or, you know, invite some, if you if you want to get to know somebody here, invite them out to lunch today. Invite yourself along to lunch. I mean, I don't think you know anybody would care if you did that. Take advantage of the opportunities. I just wanted to leave you with this analogy. That, did you know that geese, you know, what, what's the formation they fly in? The V, right? Now, what would happen if one goose insisted on being out in front all the time? They'd fall out of the sky real fast, wouldn't they? So do you know what they do? They very naturally do this. Nobody has to tell them. They alternate. They rotate. They take turns leading and following, leading and following. And because they do that, because everybody's engaged, everybody's willing to take a turn at the front, then they can go a lot further. Yeah. So being willing to take turns both leading and following provides the synergy necessary to fly further together. And it's the same way in church. If we're willing to rotate, if we're willing to take turns, if we're willing to share responsibility, there's no limits to what God can accomplish through us. I mean, we could draw strength from one another for the journey ahead. 
It's long. I mean, these beasts, they're flying a long way. It's a long journey. And it is certain that we can go farther together than we could ever go. Pray for God, thank you for this uh, day and this opportunity to be together to study your word. We do pray, God, that you would challenge us, that you would continue to call us, God, to community. Call us to be better together. Call us to unite together in a, in a mysterious, um, supernatural way to meet needs, to be a witness, God, and to show, to prove that God is not dead, that he is alive, that he is working in the midst of his people, and he will accomplish his good plans and his good purposes. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.